TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Good evening. Thank you all so much for coming out tonight. Welcome to Spill It. Spillet is true stories told in front of a live audience. Everyone has a story. Are you ready to spill it? Hello, this is Josh Campbell, and you're listening to the Spillet Podcast. On tonight's episode, we pay tribute to our Slam winners for the year 2017. They recently participated in our Grand Slam, where we gather all of our winners for the year and see who is going to be our Grand Slam champion of Memphis for 2017. In this first part, you'll be hearing stories from Ceylon Mooney, Katie Russo, Jake Ritter, and Timothy Moore. Ceylon! To me, more than anything, Memphis is a series of experiences, one after the next, where I ask myself, what fucking planet am I on? And that started when I landed here in 84. I was born in 74 in Houston, Texas. Spent my first 10 years over there. Uh, in the 70s and 80s, Nobody in Houston was from Houston, so I spent my first 10 years not only not hearing a Texas drawl, but my father, he had the thousand-yard stare, so he didn't have to say shit, so I never heard a southern accent either. And I come, I come but I'd seen the Beverly Hillbillies, and I'd seen the Dukes of Hazard, and so I come here to the Deep South, where I'd never experienced Protestants in mass, and suddenly I'm in a carpool with kids who quote fucking Bible verses... And say shit like H-E double hockey sticks, which I didn't know what that meant. And coming from Houston at age six in the 70s and early 80s, my mom would show up dressed as Gene Simmons to kindergarten and read us Halloween stories. Now, no shit, no shit. Now I'm in a carpool full of kids who say it stands for Knights in Satan's Service and that Ozzy Osbourne puppy blood sacrifices all this shit. And yeah, these kids could quote Bible verses. What? fucking planet am I on? So that was the biggest culture shock I've ever experienced. And it makes me think about my mom because she experienced significant culture shock coming here too. She was the first person in her family to get to the eighth grade. She went to college. She came here. She married into a very established and prominent Memphis family, uh, not only prominent but incredibly alcoholic at the same time too, and not exactly uh, friendly to outsiders. You know, this... This culture shock thing, our culture here is not necessarily friendly to outsiders, especially, especially the farmer's daughter comes in and marries, like, the golden child. Now, in this case, the farmer's daughter was from fucking Newark. <laughs> yeah, how about that? And just let's, let's make this culture gap a little further, even. In my father's side of the family, a couple of generations back, there's a Pulitzer Prize. On my mother's side of the family a generation back, my uncles are bringing baseball bats to the neighborhood swimming pool, and it ain't to play ball. So, yeah, it's a culture shock here. What fucking planet am I on? But the biggest, the biggest what fucking planet moment am I on that I've ever had was, God, like a couple of months after I quit drinking. I quit drinking the first time in February 96. Then I tried, uh, I experimented with alcohol some more. And those experiments were a huge success. I'm an alcoholic. 
And in summer of 96, I finally got sober. I did the programs and the recoveries, and I went to group therapy and shit like that. And now this weekend, if my mother was still alive, would be her 17th year of sobriety. She was in the program herself. God rest her soul, this would be her 17th year of sobriety. And in honor of my mother, being from New Jersey, and I like the accent, yeah, that's right. I'm going to tell you what fucking plan am I on in a language that I wish we could all truly understand. So I'm in group therapy here. And um, it's my second time ever, ever to do this kind of thing. And what we do is we go around and we talk about our challenges to sobriety that we faced this past week. Like, oh, my kid was a pain in the ass or my boss was a prick or, uh, you know, my husband, uh, I asked him if it made me look fat and he didn't say nothing or whatever the case may be. Always challenges sobriety. And so the first guy, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever done therapy and rehab or anything like that. Sometimes you're in a room with a bunch of people who are exactly like you. Same background, same lifestyle, same race, same religion. But sometimes you're in a room with people you have nothing in common with. And it's like, hey, here's somebody who ought to be a barfly at the Buccaneer Lounge. Here's somebody who used to be a barfly at Murphy's. Hey, here's someone in another, you know, if it was on the West Coast, they'd be a beach bum. And that's what this was like. It was a bunch of freaks in me. And so, yeah. <laughs> This was specifically for alcohol. So this session starts out, dude, uh, dude, uh, dude says, Hey, I got a problem I got to talk to you about. I'm going to go get a vasectomy. You know, on account of we don't want to have any more kids. And uh, my wife and I figured out that's what we're going to do. I'm going to go get a vasectomy. But I got a problem. I got this disease we all have here. And on account of this disease... I don't want to take the pills because my bulls are going to hurt. But, you know, on account of disease, I can't take these pills. Then this guy gets interrupted by the next dude who should have been a barfly at um, Buccaneer Lounge. And this guy jumps right and says, hey, we're here strictly for alcohol. This ain't about narcotics. We're here strictly for alcohol. Why don't we keep this discussion to the problem at hand? Then another guy jumps in and says, hey, let me tell you what, we're all here for the same disease. You can call it what you want, but we're all here for the same problem, for the same disease, and we're all here to support each other. Then everyone kind of just takes a deep breath, start nodding. And then the wisest alcoholic in the room, Gandalf, <laughs> speaks up and he says, hey, let me tell you what. I had that same problem. Many years ago, I went and had the, vasect had the vasectomy. And on account of this disease we got, I didn't want to take none of those pills neither. So what you got to do is you go to your freezer and you get a bag of peas <laughs> and you put them on your bulls <laughs> while you're doing your thing and not doing your thing, you're watching TV, whatever the fuck you're doing, you get this bag of frozen peas and you put them on your balls there. And then you don't have to take the pills. You know, and then the peas, because they're like little and they're all frozen, they're going to crumple up and they're going to sort of hug the shape of your balls. <laughs> and it, you know, and that's what I had to do and you can do it too. So to me, Memphis is a bag of frozen peas 
on your bulls. All right, let's see what we got here. Wait, wait let me read these. <laughs> Sorry. You're so Memphis, if you order tap water, no matter where you go, knowing it will be shit. <laughs> Gus's caters your Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> You've thought about leaving, but you couldn't because central wings are too good. <laughs> You're on a first-name basis with the faux Ben staff. <laughs> All right, we got a list here. Uh, number one. Drake's dad hit on you at Rayford's. <laughs> Number two, the second you drove into Bartlett, you got a ticket. Number three, you got your weed from Cordova. Number four, you almost hit someone in the skeet on the way over. In the street, that's what that said. <laughs> that took a weird turn. All right, you almost hit someone in the street on the way over. All right, Ceylon, who's up? Hey guys. Hello, Memphis. You know, I thought about wearing my Memphis is fuck t shirt tonight, but my grandfather's in the audience and he doesn't know that I use that word. I'm just playing. My grandfather's not in the audience. Uh, he actually hates Memphis, so he wouldn't be here tonight. Okay, I'm also playing. My grandfather does not hate Memphis. He used to hate Memphis, but we overcame it. And it took a minute. But I am not lying about the fact that my grandfather doesn't know I use the word fuck. So if y'all could keep that between us, that would be great. (laughs) All right. So, you know, I'm from a small town in Arkansas about three hours from here. And I grew up there. I was raised by my grandfather. And when I say grandfather, you guys should just know that I mean dad. But for longevity's sake, I'm going to say grandfather. And uh, he raised me. And he was not really happy when it was time for me to move away from home. He was pretty grumpy about it. Um, He kind of acted like it wasn't happening for a long time. And then when it finally happened, he promptly pulled out of the driveway without saying goodbye to me. So he was a little sore about the whole thing with me moving. Um, I remember when I first came to Memphis with him for freshman orientation at college, I won a uh, University of Memphis license plate. And I went to go put it on my car as soon as possible, like on the front, you know, where we have like those fashion license plates that were really popular when we were 17. And I had one that my grandfather had gifted me that said Russo, which is our last name. And I literally could not tear it off the car fast enough to replace it with the Memphis emblem one. And I think at the time I didn't get it, but now I get it that he literally thought I was throwing him away for Memphis. So fast forward to being in college and it's freshman year and I'm having a good time and going out with my friends and doing all the fun things that you think you do when you, you know, go away from home for the first time. Just imagine all of those things and I was probably doing all of them. And my grandfather, you know, he, he always checked in on me. He was always, always worried about me. So he would always call me every single night um, after 9 p.m. when minutes were free. And... <laughs> If you guys want to know what cool is, cool is being a college freshman whose grandfather calls you every single night at 9 o'clock on the dot. 
that's cool. So that really helped me a lot with making new friends and everything is always having my grandfather call me in the middle of the night. Um, so one night I was out with some friends and um, we were at Gibson's Donuts. Uh, if, I don't know if you guys know this, but Gibson's does this really cool thing that if you go there after midnight, you can get six donuts for a dollar. That's, that's a pro tip right there. That's a Memphis pro tip. Um, actually, that was 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, it was six donuts for a dollar. Um, I haven't been to Gibson's after midnight anytime recently, but with the current state of the economy and inflation, I imagine six donuts would probably go for about 17 bucks at this point. But back then, it was, it was six donuts for a dollar. So it was a really good time. And I was there one night, and I'm going to tighten this because I want to lean on it but it's not letting me lean on it. Okay. Oh, I just made it worse. Okay. So hanging out at Gibson's, having a great time with my friends. It's like a Tuesday. That's what you do at 1 a.m. on a Tuesday when you're in college, eating donuts, going out all night after that, and had a fantastic time. And this was just after, like, Thanksgiving break or something. And my grandfather sent me back to Memphis with about $500 in cash to pay a bill. And I had that in my wallet. And I was supposed to pay it, like, the first day I got back. But as you do, you don't do that, right? You've just got other things that are more important. So still had all this money in my wallet. And I was at Gibson's and had a great time. And then I went out. And then the next morning at around 6 a.m., my phone rings. And it's my grandpa. And I know something's wrong because it's not after 9 when he's calling me. So the fact that he's calling me, I pick up and he goes... Katie, (laughs) when he like stretches my name out like that, I'm like, oh, (laughs) I did something wrong. And he goes, did you pay that bill? And I was like, no, I didn't. And he's like, are you going to pay it today? And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, do you have your wallet? And I go, yeah, I got my wallet. Why don't you go get your wallet, Kate? (laughs) And so I go, okay, Gramps. No wallet to be found. And so I was like, Grandpa, I don't have my wallet. Yeah, Mr. John Gibson has your wallet, Kate. (laughs) Mr. John Gibson has your wallet at his donut shop. He says you left it there last night around 2 (laughs) a.m. So sure enough, I left my wallet at Gibson's, and the overnight baker found it, and he turned it into Mr. Gibson's desk. And the next morning, Mr. Gibson came in, and he took my Arkansas that still had my Hot Springs address on it, and he looked that up on Google White Pages and got my grandfather's home phone number and called my grandfather and said, I think I have your daughter's wallet, and I think she needs it. And so sure enough, you know, I always thought I was the good kid. I always thought I was the responsible kid. And I think I always thought I had one over on my grandpa, but he's a patient man, you know, and he waited. He waited, and he finally got me back on that one. He he knew I had done wrong, but thankfully for Gibson's, they had my wallet. I went back that morning. All the money was still in it. I paid the bill, and it couldn't have worked out better for me. And the next time that I talked to my grandfather, which was um, about 9.01 that evening, because he he called me uh, to check in, and he said, He started talking to me. He's like, did you get your wallet back? I go, yeah, yes, Grandpa, I got my wallet. Did you get the money back? Yes, Grandpa, I got the money. Did you pay that bill? Yes, Grandpa, I paid the bill. He goes, you know, Kate, that town's not too bad. (laughs) 
course, that's why I wore my Gibson's Donut shirt tonight. I knew Katie was going to... I left the house tonight, and my son said, why are you wearing a blazer with a T-shirt? Who do you think you are? Steph Curry. And I said, you need to watch Miami Vice, my son. Uh, Miami Vice was a show back in the 80s. Don Johnson, look it up. All right. All right. If you remember the green X's on Union Avenue, hashtag, which, I, which way do I go? Your car has at least one donut tire on it. You consider every part of every street to be a crosswalk. You make a U-turn in the middle of Poplar. Uh, these are all related, huh? There's a theme. All right. You'd rather order an item off of Amazon Prime than drive to Germantown to buy it. <laughs> you don't do jack shit when the traffic light turns green. All right. Katie, who is up? Mr. Jake Ritter. Jake Ritter. What's up, everybody? My name is Jake Ritter. I use the pronouns he and him, and Memphis is the city where I live. I moved to Memphis in August of 2011, and like many people who moved to the city of Memphis, I had a three-phase plan, right? Step one, get into the city. Step two, use the city. And step three, get the fuck out. And like many people who moved to the city of Memphis with that three-phase plan, well, you see, as we're trying to land our plane and have this kind of moment, my plan took off, and I got stuck here. And six-plus years later, I'm still here. In fact, you could say I'm still so here that about a house or about a year and a half ago, and um, guys, I put, like, pictures on the wall, and I, like, painted the front and back doors purple because purple is fucking awesome, and it's my house, damn it. And anyways, like I said, I moved to Memphis in August of 2011, and step two in my three-phase plan was to go to college and then get the fuck out. As you can see, I am still here. So anyway, I went to college. It was an awful time. That's a story for another time. Uh, when I graduated, I came out publicly the first time. Then I got two jobs like most millennials. And uh, first job was at a church. Second job is still where I work today at Starbucks. And immediately, I split myself between these two worlds. You see, my degree is in music ministry. Super fun times and uh, that I don't use currently. But uh, my degree is in music ministry, so I got a job at a local church doing music ministry shit. And then I got a job at Starbucks being a barista and shit. So, you know... Just lots of shit. But anyways, um, I remember interviewing for the, bare- uh, not the barista job, the the church job. And I said, hey, look, like I recently came out as queer. Like I have to be open about who I am because, you know, that'll like keep me alive. And that's true. And I was like, so if I start dating someone, like am I still going to have a job? They never answered the question. And I took the job anyway. Here's why. Because I've grown my entire life searching for something, and what I've been searching for is a sense of community, family, and belonging, and I've always wanted that. And so, in fact, my entire life, I have twisted and contorted myself into a pretzel to make you comfortable so that I can belong. And so, if giving up a small part of myself, which turns out to be a big part of myself, meant I got to have a job and stay in this, in this weird world that I grew up in my entire life, and the world is the only world I've ever known then fuck yeah, I'm going to do that. But the contrary experience to working at the Starbucks where my boss was the gayest man I ever met, and I'll tell you why, I said, hey man, how tall are you? And y'all, he flipped his hair, his pseudo hair, and he said, 
with or without heels on, honey. And I said, I'm home. Like, I belong here. This is my, this, oh, hey, like, I'm here. So, so it was great. And so, as you see, like, I was split between these two worlds teetering, teetering between religiosity and dogma and this, like, weird sense of, like, freedom and acceptance and love. <laughs> Whatever. So, anyways, uh, about three years ago in November of 2014, I was actually supposed to compete on this stage and tell the greatest story ever told, but that didn't happen, y'all. And so what ended up happening is, remember, I'm talking about being split between these two worlds? Well, here's what that has given me in my life. First, it has given me a bout of depression for as long as I can remember. I've wrestled with depression as long as I can remember. Two, over time in my life, that has given me an obsession and a compulsive with suicide. And number three, it has ultimately given me a string and myriad of fun addictions that I get to play with and hopefully not play with anymore, right? And so in the fall of 2014, as I was peeking over the edge to do this competition, I emailed Leah and I said, hey, I gotta drop out, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm leaving Memphis, bye forever, you know, and, uh, and I packed my bags in the back of my 2007 Chevy HHR, and I drove four and a half hours to bumfuck middle of nowhere Kentucky, and I checked myself into a residential treatment facility. That's right, I went to get sober. And, uh, and so for those next six weeks, because they get you for a while, and so for those next six weeks, I began to examine not only the reasons why I drank and why I used but the history that goes with that. And over that next six weeks, as I got that alcohol and all that other shit out of my system, I was left with two things. The first thing I was left with was my feelings. Years and years and years of unchecked and replaced feelings. And the second thing I was left with was myself. And I didn't know what to do with either of those things. And I started exploring my past and my traumas and how that it affected my history, my present, and my future. And six weeks later, I graduated, got my little gold coin, and driving back to Memphis. And y'all, I was fucking terrified. In fact, I was so terrified that I almost, I'm going to admit it because this is safe space, right? This is safe space. I considered moving to Nashville. <laughs> I know, I know, it pains me, and I'm sorry, but here, here's why I considered, right? Like, like, hear me out. Remember, I've been searching for a community and a sense of belonging my entire fucking life and for the first time in treatment I experienced that without strings attached to my identity without I love you but if you ever x y and z like I didn't have that these people loved and accepted and affirmed me for who I was no matter how I identified or what I looked like but you see I love the city of Memphis and I fell in love with it with college that was the one good thing about college again another story for another time but I decided to move back to Memphis and there's a little saying you hear when you go to treatment the only thing you have to change is everything. The only thing you have to change is everything, and that was very true for me. And so coming back to Memphis, I knew I had three major things to change in my life. Number one was my job situation, my living situation, and my friends and family situation, y'all. Like, so basically everything, right? So I get back, I leave the jobs at the church, middle finger, not really. It was very amicable, but I left. <laughs> I went to my boss at Starbucks. I said, yo, can I have full time? He said, I got your back, you know? And so I started working full time at that time as a barista, making minimum wage plus tips. This is just a free side note. Please tip your baristas. We do more for you than you ever know. Um, anyway, so I was working full time, making minimum wage plus tips, and I didn't know how I was going to survive, but somehow I did. And then I got a new place to live. I moved in with someone else in recovery who's also a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And for the first time in my life, I had a place where I didn't have to worry about the judgment from my roommate from the other side of the wall. 
fast forward, right? It has been three fucking years since I began this new journey in my life, and a lot has changed. And I'm going to tell you what I love about the city of Memphis. What I love about the city of Memphis is the roads. I've popped more tires on these fucking roads than any other city I've lived in. What I love about the city of Memphis is the people, right? So here's what I love, that somehow, in what I like to call the belt buckle of the Bible Belt of America... I have found a loving and honest and true and wonderful community of people where I finally fucking belong somewhere. I finally have a family of choice. I, these people that are here for me tonight, they are not like my family, y'all. They are my family, and they are the reason why I have stayed here. They're the reason why six-plus years later, Memphis is the longest I have ever lived in any city in my entire fucking life, and I'm still here. And the, the beautiful thing, right, the beautiful thing is this is, this, is, this is what it is for me. You know, Memphis is not just the city where I live, right? Memphis is the city where I'm learning how to stay sober. Memphis is not just the city where I live. Memphis is the city where I'm growing and I'm becoming a sober, safe, and healthy man. Memphis is not just the city where I live. Memphis is the city where I am learning how to be a goddamn adult. And yes, I love to curse. You know, Memphis is not just the city where I live. And this is the truest part for me. Memphis is the city where I'm learning how to live. Thank you. Memphis 26, Houston 41. You asked me for an update. Before that first story, it was 25-25. I was like, oh, I got some good news. And then it just all went downhill. You're so Memphis, if you left to never return, but you did. There's a sad face on the back of it. You go to Nashville and think it's way too sterile. You value experience over material gains. Cooperation over competition, humility, a sincere lack of brevity, sharing comfort, and above all, kind of needing to know someone's deal is before opening up to them. We're nice. We're not Nashville nice. Like I always say, like one of my keys to storytelling is the, the audience is on your side, so keep them there. But I also say it's high-level stuff. If you can tell something to the audience where they go, Ugh, and then you can get them back right at the end. Good job, Jake. That's, 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 that's like boss-level stuff right there. All right, who's up? Timothy Moore. Timothy. So i got two questions, all right? Uh, feel free to uh, just participate. You, you came out. Have fun, damn it. Uh, participate. All right, so here we go. First question. All right, who was born and raised in Memphis? Yay, you. Who wasn't born and raised in Memphis? Yay, you. For everybody who didn't raise their hand, you're fucking lying. You was born somewhere. It was either Memphis or not Memphis. Do shit again. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Make sure they ain't lying. You was born in Memphis? Raise your hand. Woo! Yay, you. Wasn't born in Memphis. Yeah, you. So, you thought that uh, you was coming here to hear a story from me. That's cool. The story really is about you. See, Memphis, <laughs> for me, is really about the journey, right? Memphis is like a hub. You got, 
you know, Mississippi River. You got FedEx. They, like, delivers everything, um, toilet tissue, candles, uh, dildos, uh, Bibles. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> so, but uh, it's about the journey. So for me, I was born in Tuskegee, Alabama, and one day my mom came in. And she was like, hey, we need to pack up all our stuff with your dad. We're taking all, all your siblings. It's like four, five of us. It's like two boys. It's like me. Two other boys, my, my middle brother. Yeah, I know, do the math. Some, I see, I see, see, did that shit on purpose. Got you, got you. Make sure you're paying attention. Important shit, I'm saying. So it's me, it's my two brothers, my two sisters, my dad and my mom. We all pack up in the van. Uh, we get like four suitcases. Uh, we didn't have much stuff. So, like, when she said all of our stuff, it took like an hour. It took, it took, it took like an hour. We was we're done. It's like Amazon Prime. <laughs> Before Amazon Prime, it was awesome. So my, my mom came in. She's like, you need to read out about Memphis. Memphis is like uh, the city, like Egypt. Like, and I'm like, we're going overseas? This is awesome. This is freaking awesome. Oh, oh. And she's like, no, no, Memphis, Tennessee. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, well, okay, that's, that's cool. Is that near Nashville? <laughs> like, no, okay, it's kind of, sort of, all right, cool. So she was like, yeah, it's Memphis, though. It has pyramids. I'm like, pyramids? <laughs> Sign me up. I want to go to a pyramid. I read about it. Saw it in social studies. I'm like, cool. So my, she came into the room. She's like, hey, you know, you can pick out five things, but it has to fit in this bag. You can take it to Tuskegee. And I'm like, cool. So we can take Tuskegee with us because we're all afraid to, to leave Tuskegee. You know, Tuskegee's a very small town. Um, it's just a bunch of black people in, in a college. Um, and we're sitting there like, I can't take the college. Um, what can I take? So I, I took a basketball. I took rock. Uh, I was good at breaking. I'm serious. Like I, I was good at breaking things. Uh, broke my dad's heart. Broke, broke my mom's uh, algebra book. Um, how you break a book? I don't. I don't know. But I broke it. Um, I just break things. Uh, I took two shirts and I, I took my Game Boy. Um, and my sister, she was like, uh, "I'm taking caterpillars." I was like, "Caterpillars? That's all the things you can take. You're taking caterpillars." She's like, "Yeah." Uh, come outside, we're going to dig them up, we're going to get the caterpillars, put them in the basin jar, that's what we're going to do. I'm like, all right, cool. So we go outside, we dig, we get the caterpillars, we put them in the jar, it's cool. I'm like, hey, make sure you put holes in the, in the little jar. She's like, all right, cool, I got you, I'm put holes in the jar. I'm like, all right, cool. So now we're riding in Memphis, we get up here, and um, <laughs> my little brother Dan has to pee. He's like, you know, I got to pee. He's doing like little pee-pee dance. He's like, you know, I got to pee, you know. It's like the pee-pee wiggle, you know. And uh, in the process of the pee-pee wiggle, he hits my brother, Dre. And Dre doesn't like to be hit, so now it's like a food fight. It's like ham sandwiches and uh, like popcorn and stuff. Because, you know, like black parents, we pack everything. Like we're going to take your lunch and your dinner on the trip. Like we ain't stopping at no McDonald's or no Burger King. We're taking everything on the trip. So we, we – Everything's like just everywhere. It's food, it's, it's hands flailing, everything. And my dad's like, hey, 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 what you doing back there? Stop all that. You're going you gonna to make us wreck and we're going to die and I'm going to kill you. And I'm just like, but if, if we have a wreck and I'm dead, then how you going to kill Don't worry about it. I'll come to heaven and I'll get you. I'm like, all right, well, um, stop playing around. <laughs> Dad's going to get us. So, so uh, in the process, like my, my sister knocks over her caterpillar jar. And next thing you know, like, my mom's freaking out. Like, there's a couple things you need to know, know about, like, black parent moms. Uh, don't touch their hair. Uh, <laughs> don't touch it. Uh, don't think that you can run fast enough to get away from the backhand, because you can't. That backhand is magical. It's magical shit. It will reach you. It will, it's like Fantastic Four. 
it will reach you. It will come around the corner, come around the other side of the street, come down Burger King, past McDonald's, into the KFC, and get you. Do not run. Third thing, don't bring anything crawly, icky, sticky, or that growls around black moms. So my mom's looking, she's like, oh my God, it's like baby snakes. We're like baby snakes. It's, it's, not, it's, it's just caterpillars. It's like, what are you talking about? It's caterpillars. And she's like, no, no, it's so ugly. Oh my God. And now Angie's crying. It's like, no, they're not ugly. They're beautiful. They're like beautiful things. They're like also beautiful, like woolly and beautiful. They're like big and fluffy. And I'm like, oh no, they're ugly. And she looks at me. She's like, big, fluffy, brown. <sighs> Awkward. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> all right, they're beautiful, like me, uh, kind of, sort of, like caterpillarly. So now my dad has a choice. So he's very smart. My dad's like Professor X. He's like, hey, Donna, that's my mom's name, Donna. So, hey, Donna, oh, I love you, babe. Go in, buy your favorite candy. So my mom goes to the gas station, and my dad does what all great black dads do. He lies to my mom without him know, her knowing it. So she takes, he comes over, he gets the uh, caterpillar jar, and he, he scoops up all the caterpillars. He gives them to me. He's like, put those in your bag. I'm like... I'm a smuggler now? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm a smuggler? Like, that's what I'm doing now? And he's like, yeah, 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 just put them in there. Uh, don't say anything. Just put them in there. So I put them in there. And next thing you know, uh, we get to Memphis. And I, I learned something. They died. My, my sister didn't poke holes in the, in the jar. So now she's like, hey, we got to go to the pyramid. So we're like, all right, cool. We go to the pyramid. And she's like, all right, we got, we got to bury them so they can resurrect, so they can be like the, the better things. It's like, cool. So now I'm like breaking and entering because now I'm like, she's like, we got to find a secret passageway. I'm like, ain't no secret passageway. It's a maintenance door. So we get inside and I'm lying to her like a good big brother should. I'm like, look, we're going to bury him right here. We bury him and we're listening to like, you know, Isaac Hayes. I don't know why. It just, it felt appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) So we get there, we bury him and we're leaving and it's the best smile. So I'm like, hey, you know, it's all good. You know, flash forward, you know, 20 years later, I've become addicted to a lot of things. Uh, Drugs and just just bad times and just bad people, and I, I came up missing for like three days. And the police were looking, everybody's looking for me, everybody's trying to find me, and they're like, "Where'd he go? Like, where'd he go?" And my my sister was like, "Let's go to the pyramid." And they showed up, and I, I, here I am, I'm, I'm drugged out. I'm like, I'm I'm just like foaming, I'm I'm, I'm asleep, I'm gone. Uh, and my sister, when uh, when they woke me up, they're like, "Well, why, you know, why did you go to the pyramid?" And they're like, "Well, my brother's always been like a god, and he's always been like a pharaoh." So I figured if he was gonna die. He was going to be at the pyramid. I don't know why I went to the pyramid. It felt like home. But I remember it was the last real memory of me being happy. <laughs> Thank you. Spill It Podcast is a joint production between Spill It Memphis and the OAM Network. For more information, go to spillitmemphis.org and the OAMnetwork.com.